Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. This is a theonomic podcast, which means we love the Old Testament law. We, and by we I mean myself and my listeners who agree with me about theonomy, we love all of the Bible. We don't see the books in the Old Testament like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy as boring stuff that we need to get through in our Bible reading plan so we can get to the exciting stuff in Joshua and eventually the New Testament. No, we love all of it. We get excited when we are reading the second half of Exodus and then the rest of the Torah or Pentateuch from there. But despite that, we do not want to misuse and abuse the Old Testament law. In fact, our love for it should be even more motivation for us to make sure we are not wrongly using it. The law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true, as I say at the end of every episode. But that that does not mean that what is good cannot be twisted for evil. In fact, Paul writes on this very subject in Romans 7 verses 15 to 14. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were constrained, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. Rather, I would have... Sorry, rather, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, worked out in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Now I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And this commandment, which was to lead to life, was found to lead to death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by working out my death through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly, having been sold into bondage under sin. So this episode is addressing misuses of the Old Testament law and talking about how God's law can kill if misunderstood. This episode will address something that continues to be a misrepresentation of theonomy. So please send it to uh, those you hear who argue that theonomists are heretics because we say that obedience to the Old Testament law saves us or some similar thing to that. 
no matter how many times we explain theonomy does not teach that, some still claim that it does. With my previous episode responding to some of Andrew T. Walker's bad arguments against theonomy, I have to give him props for not resorting to this one. Some of his arguments were downright frustrating, but he did not stoop this low and call us heretics over something we do not actually believe. Nevertheless, in this episode I will teach about how God's law kills and address a common misrepresentation. And honestly, for some people, a straight-up lie because they know that what they're saying is not accurate about theonomy. Before I get into all that, I just want to ask you all that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to it on your favorite podcast catcher, turn on the auto-downloads, and uh, tell your friends about it, text them links to listen to it, send this episode to your friends who claim that theonomists are heretics because we think you're saved by keeping the Old Testament law and other stuff like that. From the outset, I want to say that God's law does kill. Yes, it kills physically those who are executed in capital punishment for violations of it that warrant such a punishment, crimes such as murder. And yes, it kills spiritually those who violate it and do not have their sins cleansed by Christ, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. But this episode is not addressing those two things. Instead, it is addressing a different way that God's law kills. It kills those who try to find their salvation in it alone. I am not denying that God's law is, to quote Romans 7 again, holy and righteous and good. I am not denying that God's law should be the guide for national laws today, lest the nations that reject it experience the wrath of the Son of God per Psalm 2. What I am saying is that God's law in and of itself cannot save you. It can only save you by pointing out your need for a Savior and prophesying that Savior that we read about in the pages of the New Testament. It can only save you by being a tutor to point you to Christ, as Paul says in Galatians 3.24. Therefore the law has become our tutor unto Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. By itself, God's perfect and good law cannot justify us, only point out our sin and condemn us. First, let's take some time to look at Romans 7. We will see what it teaches about sin and salvation and how God's law relates, as well as what it does not say, but some people might twist it to say. So first, looking at verse 5 of uh, Romans chapter 7. This is the first verse I read a little bit ago when I read a part of uh, Romans 7 earlier in this uh, episode. So Paul says that our sinful passions were at work while we were in the flesh. Those passions were at work to bear fruit for death. Every human being was born in the flesh and only stops being like that if he or she becomes a believer in Christ Jesus. All are born slaves to sin. Only those who become Christians become slaves of God. All are born in the flesh. Only those born again are... uh, Uh, in the spirit, like what Jesus says to Nicodemus in uh, John 3. They are the free men and women who bear fruit for God instead of bearing fruit for death. And this is why we must be born again. If you only ever bear fruit for sin and never bear fruit for God, then you are not a believer. Believers have died to the law 
and are now bound to Christ so that they will bear fruit for God. Not perfectly, but there will be a general trajectory in their life towards sanctification and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Those in the flesh are bound by their sinful passions and bear fruit for sin, never bearing fruit for God. They may at times appear appear to bear fruit for God, but that is just false fruit to appease their consciences, not true fruit. This verse also talks about being aroused by the law. For while we are in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But this aroused by the law part, isn't the law good? Isn't the law God's word in the Old Testament? Isn't it just as good as the rest of the Bible? And the answer to all of those questions is yes. Verses 12 and 13 that we'll look at here soon read, So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me. May it never be, rather it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by working out my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. So sin uses good restrictions for evil. You see a wet paint sign, it says wet paint, don't touch, and all of a sudden you want to touch that whatever it is that you never would have wanted to touch if you hadn't seen the sign. You see a speed limit sign and you realize you're doing exactly the speed limit, so you speed up to do a few miles an hour over the speed limit. You find out something is against the law that you would never want to do otherwise, but now you do want to do it because it's quote-unquote cool to do it and break the law. Our sin wants to violate all restrictions. God's law isn't evil. Sin uses God's good law for evil ends. Our hearts that before salvation are evil and hate God and see God's good law, and they want to do the exact opposite. John Calvin writes on this verse, What the law does, in the absence of the inward teacher, the Spirit is increasingly to inflame our hearts, so that they will boil with, up with the lust. So that they will boil up with lust. Then verse 6 starts with, but now. So we have a change, a transition here. We died to the law that constrained us and have been born again. Now we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The letter there referring to the written code. The Holy Spirit now constrains us, not the letter of the law. The Holy Spirit's restraint from sin does not agitate our lusts like the letter did before we became Christians and gained a new heart before we were regenerated. It is inward, not outward restraint. Inward from the heart new heart, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 7. What shall we say then? What shall we say in response to this? What is the logical outflow of what I just said? Is the law sin? Paul says, may it never be. This is the strongest negative in the Greek language, the strongest negative he could use there. The law is not sin. This is impossible. The Old Testament law reflects the moral will of God. The Old Testament law reflects God himself. It reflects his character. If the law is sinful or has errors, that means God is sinful or has errors. 
and God is not sinful. Holiness and righteousness are defined as what is in line with God and his character. So by definition, God cannot be sinful. God has no errors. God is righteous. He is all-knowing, omniscient. He is all-powerful, omnipotent. Because the Bible, including the Old Testament law, is the inspired, God-breathed word of God, it is perfect and without sin, just as God is perfect and without sin. So in summary, the law is not sin. So rather, or on the contrary, just the opposite is true. God's law isn't sin, it just reveals mankind's sin. Paul says that he would not have come to know sin except through the law. How is this possible? If the law is not sinful, how did Paul only come to know sin by the law? He explains in the rest of this verse and in the following verses. Coveting. Paul says that he would not have known coveting and what sin it is to covet if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. Notice that Paul jumps to the 10th commandment, the one that is most internal. The others have many implications about the heart, which is why Jesus says what he says in the Sermon on the Mount, not to mention Deuteronomy or the Confessions of Faith from several centuries ago. But all of those laws have more external and outward manifestations of the sin. Don't steal? Well, stealing is noticeable. Don't commit adultery? Well, committing adultery is noticeable. Honoring parents is also a matter of the heart, but it typically has quickly noticed outward manifestations. Coveting can be completely internal and have little to no outward visible results. So the law brings to Paul's awareness his sin. It, is also, it also excited his sinful passions, using the terminology from verse 5. Before he was a believer, to covet even more because our depraved natures before salvation want to do all it can to rebel against God and his rules. Then verse 8, Paul basically says what I just explained in verse 7. In other words, verse 8 is explaining further what verse 7 says. One difference, the onus is on sin this time, not on the law, to show that sin is the evil thing that is contrary to God, not God's law. God's law is not contrary to God because God's law reflects God, as I already said. Sin took an opportunity. It took the command to not covet and therefore coveted all the more to rebel against God. It took a God's command prohibiting doing something in order to entice the sinner to do that thing all the more. And it says, for apart from the law, sin is dead. This doesn't mean that sin has no existence. Just a little bit earlier in the same epistle, in uh, chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes, Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So, this isn't saying that uh, sin has no existence outside the law. All have sinned. Sin is dead, as in it is not fully active. It doesn't completely overwhelm the sinner, as it does when God's law is known, and sin uses the restrictions as a means to rebel against God even more. 
Verse 9. Once alive apart from the law. Paul was not actually spiritually alive back then because no one is born spiritually alive. Everyone is born, no, conceived as spiritually dead in sin. Paul means that he was ignorant of the full effect and impact of God's law on him and how God's law condemned him because of his sin. On this, Calvin writes that Paul, being inflated with a conceit as to his own righteousness, claimed life to himself while he was yet dead. Paul thought he was spiritually alive until he understood God's law because God's law made him understand how spiritually dead he was from the very beginning. And it says, Sin revived. Sin revived or came alive in the sense that, as John MacArthur says, Paul came to realize his true condition and its full evil and destructiveness. And then Paul says, I died. Paul died in the sense that he realized how worthless his own attempts at becoming right in God's sight were, and he also realized that he is dead under the condemnation of God's law. Thus, only God's grace can save him because he cannot save himself, and he is dead outside of God's intervention to redeem him. Then verse 10, the commandment was to lead to life. Leviticus 18.5 says, So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does them, he shall live by them. I am Yahweh. Likewise, uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 5 says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of law. The man who does these things shall live by them. It instead led to death for us because we have all broken it. God knew this to be the case, which is why the Old Testament law is not an end in itself and was never meant to be that. All along, it was pointing to salvation in Christ. I mean, Genesis 3.15, as far as when the events actually happened, not when they were being written down because Moses wrote Exodus and Genesis 3.15, but when the events were actually happening, Genesis 3.15 happened thousands of years before the events in Exodus. No one was ever saved by keeping the law because no one can be saved in that manner. All are saved by grace. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 4, just a few chapters before this one we're looking at right now. He uses examples from Abraham and David, the, you know, basically rock stars of the Old Testament. And uh, Calvin writes on this, We must thus distinguish between the character of the law and our own wickedness. It hence follows that it is incidental that the law inflicts on us a deadly wound, as when an incurable disease is more exasperated by a healing remedy. Then verse 11. Verse 8 talked about sins taking an opportunity through the command against coveting to work out an abundance of coveting. Verse 11 is more general. It talks about how sin takes an opportunity through the commandment, that is, through the law of God, but also through any of God's word, anything in the Bible that tells us something is restricted or prohibited from us. Sin deceived Paul. Sin tricked Paul into doing what is wrong. Our sinful nature deceives us into sin, as the serpent deceived Eve in the garden. We also willingly give and do sin as we do what we know is wrong, as we sin against our conscience, the work of the law written in our heart. 
Romans 2, 14 and 15. Sin also deceives us into thinking that we are right with God through some way other than Christ. This is false. Grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone is the only means of salvation. Not whatever other method our sinful flesh tries to convince us will save us, but actually just makes us more odious in God's sight as we reject his word and try to save ourselves by our own means. Sin killed Paul. Paul, just like the rest of us, sinned against God and the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 Paul is no exception. He is the unbroken rule. We are all deceived and killed by sin, and that is why we need the gospel to save us. Then verse 12. These last handful of verses, Paul has explained that the law is not sin. Sin is sin, and it uses the law for its nefarious ends. Now he caps it all off by stating that God's law is holy. God's law is holy and righteous and good. Paul uses all three terms in a row like that to emphasize just how great God's law is. God's law is not sinful. It is holy and righteous and good. Sin is evil and it uses even a good thing like God's law for evil purposes but that in no way makes God's law evil. Then verse 13, did a good thing, the law of God, cause Paul's death? Not just a question for Paul, and by that I mean for Paul alone, that's a thing that every human being is in the same boat with Paul in. It's a question for all of us. Did the law of God cause our death and condemnation? Here's the logic. The law of God requires the one who follows it to live by it, as we saw a bit ago from Leviticus. If we disobey it, we are not living by it, and it condemns us under the wrath of God. Did this good thing, the law of God, cause our death under its penalties? May it never be. May genoita. God's law did not cause our death. Sin did. If you are on trial for murder, the law is not condemning you. Your act of murder is what is condemning you, and the law is just doing what it's supposed to do. It was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by working out my death through that which is good. Let me explain that a bit in simpler terms. Sin was shown to be sin. Why do we need that? We know sin is sin. We do, most of the time. But we need reminders and being shown something in a good way to explain to us, explain it to us and help us see it. What sin does here, as Paul is about to explain, proves that it is sinful. If the results, or wages, to use the term from Romans 6.23, is death, we know that it is something that's bad. Good trees don't bear bad fruit. The fruit or result of sin is death. Sin is a bad tree. Sin is evil. Sin is the cause of death, not God's good law. Sin took what is good, the law of God, and used it to result in evil ends, death. This proves that sin is evil. This proves that sin is sin. If sin is able to use a good thing to work out something that only results from evil, death, then sin is especially shown to be an evil thing. 
And that's why it says there, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Other translations say exceedingly sinful, NKJV, or sinful beyond measure, the ESV. It shows how completely and utterly evil sin is by working out death through that which is good. So there from Romans chapter 7, we see that, yes, God's law kills if used improperly. If used as an end in itself, if you're trying to use God's law alone to be just with God, to be at peace with God, to be justified and righteous in God's sight, then God's law will kill you spiritually because the more you try to be justified by it, the more it will condemn you. You are using the law long, wrongly. It is not your tutor to lead you unto Christ that you might be saved by faith. Once again, referencing Galatians. But rather, you're trying to use God's law as an end of righteousness in and of itself, which it was never designed to do. And no theonomist that I know of ever says that God's law is meant for that purpose, is meant in a salvific manner. If you ever hear someone who claims to be a theonomist say that, point him out to me. Let me talk to this guy because he needs to hear about the gospel and he needs to hear about what theonomy actually teaches. That which is perfect may be used to accomplish evil, which just shows even more the evil of the thing using that which is perfect for evil, which we just saw at the end of Romans 7 there. So our sinful flesh uses God's law in order to accomplish sinful means, which doesn't show any bad in regard to God's law, but rather the utter evil of sin pointing us to our need for a savior. And so when we look at God's law rightly, we will see that it teaches us about God. It is a mirror to reveal to us our sin. It is a fence to restrain evil. It points out our need for a savior. And it is a guide for our national laws today. As we use what was given to Israel as the guiding principles for how every nation should honor God with its laws and its own specific circumstances. Theonomists understand every aspect of the law of God I just said there. Non-theonomists would agree with most of them, but they would uh, not really like that last one there. That's why they're not theonomists. But none of those points there was a salvific means for uh, God's law. None of them was saying that God's law saves us other than it points out to us our need for a savior. It's a guide. It restrains a uh, evil it points us to Christ. It does a lot of good things. It is holy and righteous and good, and it reflects God's character. But the law in and of itself does not and cannot save us. And once again, for the over 9,000th time in this episode, I know of no theonomist who believes the heresy that we are saved by our works and obedience to God's law. We are saved by works and obedience to God's law, but they're the works of Christ credited to our account by the w, double imputation of the gospel. Galatians pretty well makes it clear that salvation is not a use of the law. Like I said, other than just to show us how wretched and evil and sinful we are and that we need a savior, Jesus Christ. God's law is a guide to individuals, families, churches, and nations. God's law is not just a guide to individuals. And so that's what theonomy teaches. We don't use God's law to save us but rather as a guide to us 
a guide to us before salvation to point us to the gospel and a guide to us after salvation to teach us how to live individually, to teach us how to live as families, to teach us how to live as churches, and yes, even to teach us how to live as nations. Every sphere of sovereignty, it doesn't stop before it gets to the last one. So in summary, God's law will kill you if you disobey it. Both in execution, if you commit a crime with a capital uh, punishment, a, if you commit a capital offense, and spiritually, if you try to use God's law as a means of salvation itself, instead of as a tutor to guide you to the forgiveness that is in Christ and his propitiation on the cross. However, none of that negates that God's law should be used as theonomists say, where it guides individuals in how to honor God with their lives, and it guides nations in how to have laws that are honoring to God and in obedience to him, and will not bring his just wrath and judgment on that nation, per Psalm 2. So that was this week's episode of Theonomony. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. Especially in this episode, I want to remind everyone of that. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Oh